0: Do you want to know what the top link builders are doing to get four times as many links as everyone else? Or do you want to know how much people are paying for links right this second? Well, we surveyed over 750 link builders to find out exactly how they build their links. Plus, we analyzed this data and found some really unexpected things in the results. So in this episode of the Authority Hacker Podcast, we're going to be sharing with you all of our findings and our key takeaways from all of this to help you build better links today. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton
1: and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today we are going to be having a bit of a commentary such discussion about the new link building survey that we have just released on hacker.com we'll just put the URL below here so you guys can go and check it out. If you're on podcast, just go on the authorityhacker.com slash link building survey with dashes in between and we'll make a redirect there if it's not the final URL. And yeah, we're going to be talking about that. We surveyed 755 professional link builders and we wanted to understand how they build links, what works for them. What doesn't work? Answering questions like how many people pay for links, how much do they pay, da da da. All these things really. It was really a mock project. So do you have any comment to make on that? I'm not even gonna ask you how you're doing because you're so happy with that. Oh man, I'm so disappointed.
0: <laughs> so disappointed. Not Did you remember something? Today. Of course not. Uh, no. Well,
1: okay, then that's just. I wonder, <laughs> that was a, I that was a f- f- okay. fake
0: disappointment. Yeah. Anything else to say about like the con- the, the context of that survey? We started off surveying our members, and then we we sort of tried to go as broad as possible so there is a decent mix there of in-house SEos freelancers agencies as well still you know the majority around two-thirds are site owners 69.5 right percent yeah but in many cases in most cases in fact we split out the answers of each group to find out like how they behave differently and there's some really interesting insights which we'll we'll cover in this show around how that worked out.
1: Yeah, but we didn't just split into what they do. We also split it per experience. And I think a lot of stats came out of that as well. And in terms of experience, so we had like less than a year, one to two years, two to five years, and five plus years. That was pretty even, right? It's like less than one year was 28.6%. One to two years was 27.3%. Two to five years, 217 sorry. And five plus years, 22.4%. So this was actually more interesting, uh, in my opinion.
0: What was quite interesting there, and this, I guess, kind of surprised me, is that Agencies had by far the biggest amount or biggest portion of very experienced link builders, like those with five plus years experience. Agencies and in-house SEO not too far behind. My opinion on
1: this stat was that it's a little bit of a bias of our audience as well, where we are targeted towards site owners mostly. So that would be the majority of people who answered. And of all levels, because we have trainings for beginners, we have, and, you know, we run ads, et cetera. So obviously we tend to like advertise to these people who then become our audience, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas for freelancers and agencies, we're more of a niche thing where only maybe the most advanced people who are really entrenched in the industry would know about us because it's not necessarily like what like we're not being talked about in conferences or like if you read on Moz or something and you're, you're learning SEO there or something like that, like it's not exactly Toy hacker is not the number one area, but like people who are a bit more edgy in the industry might be more aware of us, which would lead to higher experience because they're more entrenched in the industry.
0: Absolutely. And I think there's gonna be a reasonable amount of you know correlation, not causation through, yeah. throughout the survey. However, because we've split it all out into those groups and we can break down the answer to each question according to experience level type yeah. of link builder, you know, it, it gives some interesting insights. Particularly, you know, if you're starting out, it's like, well, what are the most experienced link builders doing? And we can share that with you. There's some differences, yeah.
1: It's like uh, some of the stuff was quite interesting, but we're gonna go into that. Actually,
0: let's just go into that right away. The first one is, when I first say this, it's gonna be like, well, that's Captain Obvious. <laughs> first one is that experienced link builders build more links, right? Okay. wow. We could all, we could all imagine <laughs> that was gonna be the case. That's not the interesting part. What the interesting part is, first of all, how many more links they build. So up to a year, on average you're building seven links a month, two to three years, it's uh, 13 links a month, three to five years, 15 links a month, so it's kind of pretty similar. But then after five years, it jumps up to 25 links per month. So takeaway here is the most experienced link builders are building quite a lot more links like four times as many links almost as the least experienced link builders. And what's even more interesting is when you cross reference that with salary ranges for beginner intermediate experienced link builders, even though experienced link builders cost a lot more to hire because they're producing so many more links, the cost per link is actually a lot cheaper. So in this case, and we're using US salary ranges here, it's about $183 per link versus 357 for for beginners.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one because people, like, when they want cheap links, they imagine, well, I'm going to hire someone who costs less. That's going to be cheaper, right? And that's going to be better. But I want to put, I'm going to be playing the devil's advocate, like the guy who's going to criticize that survey the whole time. And the thing is, like, if you look at the previous stat, you could see that the five plus years experience were overwhelmingly agencies and freelancers, basically. And so I'm looking at how we used to run an agency that is link building. When a link builder would, like, get an agreement with a site to build a link, they wouldn't just build one link, they'd get the link for like three or four clients, let's say. So it's hard. It's easier to build, like if they count this as four links versus one link for the site owner that only has his website who are more in the one-year thing, then you would, act, you would say that while they build more links in number, the number of maybe referring domains or linking root domains might not be as big of a difference probably.
0: Yes, I mean that is one possible explanation, though I would caution you in saying that we never ran our link building agency for more than 5 years so yeah, yeah. Um, it's possible that the agencies with more experience are doing different things. And indeed, that's what we found out in this survey because they are overwhelmingly using different tactics to what site owners are doing. For example, digital PR. And that's something we'll get to later in the, the survey as well.
1: Yeah, but still in, you still need to put this, in. like these surveys, if you just take one question it's on its own, you can't really like tell the truth. And it's kind of important to put these things in perspective. So it does point to that, but there could be external factors that would influence that number, basically.
0: I think a real takeaway for site owners is do you want to hire someone with no experience who's you know really smart and train them up or just go in and hire a very experienced link builder what would you do now in the past we've tended to go for train people up go down that route and that was because for some time we found that like hiring experienced link builders was actually detrimental because they were doing a bunch of stuff that wasn't good or they had picked up bad habits and all that. But I think that maybe link building, it's changed, but it's kind of stayed the same for like four or five years or so now, um, for the most part in like the outreach category, at least. I'm not talking about PR and stuff, but in outreach. So I'm wondering if now as maybe the opposite is more true. If we were hiring another link builder tomorrow, I certainly wouldn't be so quick to discount the hiring experienced angle.
1: And my question is, weren't you aiming for cheap experienced link builders before and maybe you were aiming too low on budget as well?
0: Not necessarily. Salaries are all kind of relative to country. We did a really good podcast with uh, Uges from Recruiter Mill about a year ago. We'll we'll link to that where we talked about hiring link builders in, in Eastern Europe, particularly, and the kind of salary differentials there and, and all that. But you could argue that you get what you pay for. But I don't think that's necessarily true on just like a U.S. versus Europe or whatever basis. There are good people in both In all locations it's just a matter of like how do you find that top talent and how much top talent is there yeah
1: i think hiring is not just a question of salary it's
0: a bit more complicated okay what's the next thing we want to look at the paying for links yeah so we found that according to our survey 74.3 percent of link builders pay for links now this was probably about some i thought about maybe 60 70 percent would be doing it so this is maybe a little bit higher than average, but not too far away from where I expected it to be. The implications of this were particularly interesting, though, when we cross-referenced it with experience. So 68% of link builders with less than a year experience were paying for links, but 81% of those with five or more years experience were paying for links. So to me, that says that there's one of two things happens. Either people are in the industry a while and just they've done more link building tactics, so eventually they stumble on paid links as one to try, so they can tick that box. Yeah, I've done it. Or, and this maybe is what happened to us. We didn't pay for links for a long time, and we've been in the industry for a long time. And we saw a bunch of people who were paying for links outranking get us, get results.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: especially <in> like competitive <laughs> niches and stuff. And then it was like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Kind of thing, maybe.
1: Yeah, it's actually a twenty percent difference. It's quite it's quite significant. The fact that like experience like correlates with more likely to pay for links shows that Google's not doing a very good job at defending free links. I think there's really two categories in experienced people. There's people who like, they prefer safety above all and then they will never pay for links regardless of what the state of the industry is. And there's people who are result driven and eventually just come to a conclusion that they should be paying for links. It decans, like as experience grows, you kind of fall into one of these two categories. Whereas you might be like opinionless at the beginning, or you might be following just only your official guidelines. And then as a result, you're more likely to not pay for links when you start. But yeah, I think eventually people get disillusioned about paid links, but just it's then a a question Question of personal comfort of where they're happy to stand on the spectrum more than like people not being convinced that paying for links doesn't work. I think that's a big failure for Google that's that actually. Especially when it grows with experience I think it's a big failure. I would say probably before it was the opposite where like beginners were more likely to pay for links and then as experience grows it would maybe have reduced and then it's like too bad, Google. It didn't do a good job here.
0: I think. That's the case now, at least. Like It I could th- change, yeah. We've been Another saying this for a while. But I, I f-
1: <laughs> could change that. Yeah,
0: it's true until it's not kind of thing. Like, as soon as they figure it out in a better way, then... Yeah,
1: but we need, like, a, a big event for it to change. Like, it's not going to be, like, a small gradual change. I think it's, like... Uh, how core updates might have been some kind of like AI-driven panda stuff, content-based stuff to relate to old updates. We might have something about that regarding links. So it might already have happened, to be honest. Like a lot of talks in our masterminds from Autohy Hacker Pro Platinum is about how relevance is getting tighter, et cetera. And so, yeah, that, that, that these kind of events could change that, but I don't see it changing massively in the near future.
0: But one interesting fact is when we compared the amount of links which people who paid for links built versus people who didn't pay for links built per month on average, we found that the numbers were a little bit closer than expected. So you did a Twitter poll about this recently and I think the biggest group of people gave an estimate that people who pay for links build was it twenty five to links, thirty more links, yeah, more twenty five to thirty more <laughs> links per month. Thirty eight point eight percent of people don't.
1: voted for that option out of three hundred and eighty nine votes, so it's quite consequent actually.
0: But the reality was that those people who were paying for links, on average, built only two more links per month than those who, who didn't. So what's going on here? Do you think?
1: Mm, That is a tricky one. First of all, the sample of people who don't pay for links is a lot smaller. So it's like uh, you could question statistical significance here because you're talking 25% of 755 people. So it's like, how much is that? 75? It's still,
0: I mean, like the the expected, It's expected, it's still the amount of people or the amount of extra links people expected were being built versus were actually being built. There was a big, big yeah. difference there. I so mean, that's just, quite significant to me. It's kind
1: of your default w- reaction, right? It's like, oh, you pay for links, so it's easy, so you just get a bunch of links, etc. But I think in a world where everyone pays for links, then payment doesn't become a differentiating factor as much anymore, and so it's not. And I think when you pay for links, you might be building different links as well.
0: That's the thing. So I think those people who don't pay for links are more likely to use different content. tactics than outreach, content, digital PR, even things like three hundred ones and stuff. And so when you rely on different tactics, you're kind of like forced to improvise and come up with new ideas and figure out maybe more passive ways to earn links over time What you can do with creating content or building linkable assets. And actually over time, those numbers can stack up to be higher or not, not higher, but almost as high. And then refactoring quality, then arguably that may be a better route for some people.
1: I think well it's quite tricky because if you change the question to like how many links to commercial pages did you do you build per month, for example, then I would expect the difference would be significantly higher. And it's like yeah. then you need to ask the question that's, like that's what's the value we measure, of a link to, to a commercial page versus the link a link to a content page. Like I would argue that a link to a commercial page probably is good enough, is much higher value. And so like I don't think it's a fair reflection necessarily of the value of your link building, but yeah.
0: I mean, just just to contradict you for a second, that may be the case of where the links are pointing. But the strength, significance, power, relevancy, and how well these links are, how impactful these links are going to be in the future... Is also maybe leans more towards in favor of those. Yeah,
1: it could be. A lot of paid links are pretty terrible these days. And so, yeah, I would argue that the people not paying for links probably have higher link quality which evens it out a little bit compared to people who have links pointing directly to their commercial page. Basically, I think the people paying for links probably get more benefits short term and less benefits long term. And people not paying for links probably get the opposite. So it's like it's it's kind of a longer term play. They need to play through internal linking. They need to play on growing the domain authority in general, like a lot more, etc. So it's... While these numbers are quite close, the play is very different, yeah, I think.
0: Okay, let's let's maybe move on to the next one. So the next statistic was the average cost of a paid link was $83. Is there a lesson here if you're paying more than that, maybe negotiate harder? Well, that's maybe a simplification of things. Yeah, yeah. So when we (laughs) broke that down by experience level, we found that the most experienced link builders were paying 221% more for links than the least experienced link builders. So they were paying around 180, sorry, $115 per link versus beginner link builders, $52 per link was the average. So to me, that just uh, tells me that maybe they got a bit more budget, a bit more resources. They're aiming They're more for picky quality. For links. Yeah they've hit all the low hanging fruit ones as well that are doing cheap links and therefore maybe that's it's only expensive ones that are left.
1: I also think that it puts the productivity gain of high experienced link builders into perspective. If they can if they afford to pay more than double per link than what the beginners do, then it's a lot easier. If you're giving the same amount of money to a beginner how big would the difference be? Maybe not as big as it was yeah. in the start that we found. So I think you need to put that in perspective as well, that the productivity gain might be driven partly due to that higher budget
0: per link. Yeah. That's a good point, actually. And it also correlates to the type of business that people are in. So we know that experienced link builders work for agencies. Agencies tend to charge a bit more, have higher budgets, have higher throughput, are very sort of driven by deadlines, and amount of links per month. So they want to get things over the line versus site owners who tend to be in the less experienced cohort in our survey, at least. They maybe they're spending their own money, so they're a bit more cautious and they, they can wait to find The good links, the good value links, rather than just dumping all the money to hit a monthly requirement.
1: So, but I think it puts a lot of things in perspective. This one, it's a big difference. Like fifty-two dollars to one hundred fifteen, it's basically double, even more a little bit.
0: There's also this dynamic that when you break it down by by type, so in-house SEOs pay the most per link. So, one hundred twenty-six dollars. Agencies one hundred and ten. Freelancers eighty-five. And new site owners seventy-two. So that. Tells to that also sort of tells me that when you're spending other people's money, yeah, it's much easier. You're you're probably negotiating, not negotiating as hard, and it's also happier um, to spend it.
1: I think you could argue that you probably see the profit margins of freelancers here because freelancers tend to sell to in-house SEOs. (laughs) So, in-house SEOs pay 126 and freelancers pay 85. Then probably the difference. Is what the freelancer pockets on average per link, so like forty dollars, maybe something like this. That sounds about that sounds about right, actually, for for what I know about the link building industry. So it's I think it gives us some insight on where's the profit and the margins in that link selling industry as well. I would say as a service, not just selling on the website.
0: When we compared the percentage of SEO budget going to link building, it was forty two percent, forty three percent higher when you paid for links, which is not surprising, right? You spend more more money on it and the budget otherwise goes to content or other things. So that's not, not too surprising. But what's
1: interesting is the difference of budget against the number of links built per month, right? Because we said people who pay build almost the same amount of links, but they spend 50%, 33% less money than the people who pay for links. So like the value is higher. It's probably harder, but the value is higher as well. Like if you're like bootstrap budget conscious, maybe you want to fall into that category. I
0: think you said something really important there. It's probably harder. Yeah, right? for sure. When you pay for links on a site, it's kind of like easy mode in terms of getting the numbers. Like you can say you got a, got a lot of links. Okay, we can debate the the issues of of quality and stuff, but when you make it harder for yourself and your team by not allowing that, they have to work harder to come up with new creative ideas, to earn links, to build linkable assets, to do stuff that other people aren't doing. And and that's difficult, especially if you're, you're just getting started in this industry.
1: Again, you need to kind of like read in these numbers and put them in perspective with the others. That's when the kind of like interesting insights come in basically.
0: What's the next stat? So 61.7% of link builders report that link building is getting more expensive. So only 5.7% said it was cheaper. About a third said it was more or less staying the same. But yeah, that's a, that's a lot of people. And that's not too surprising given where we are in 2022 and you know, inflation and cost of everything going up. I think but it's just, just, just a general, sign
1: that uh, link builders are getting older. I just remember my grandparents always
0: complaining everything's getting more expensive. So <laughs> that, That's a possibility. I really do think though, from personal experience, that sites are a lot more aware of the value of links SISU who sell links these days and that's evidenced by the fact that we have so many guest post farms and link farms and and sites which probably you don't want links from who are making entire businesses out of this because there's just such a demand for links from from everyone and so yeah i mean I th- it's not surprising that they're jacking up the prices it's not like the world's because getting because any cheaper demand. anyway
1: like it's like it's like oh yeah yeah it's like usually when things are getting cheaper we're in trouble economically so yeah things go get more expensive but people also tend to make more money over time like ad rates compare the, the amount of money you could make from ads five years ago compared to now, it's so much more now. You can make so much more money with the same traffic. So it makes sense that the price of link goes with the growth of the internet. And honestly, nothing nothing very shocking here. But
0: I, I mean I would I would say okay we didn't measure how much more expensive it's it's getting per se, but I would say that just anecdotally, it does seem to be getting a lot more ex- expensive, even than nine percent, twelve percent inflation away. I know, whatever but like right the growth
1: of like monetization, some some forms of monetization, and the growth of like internet with the pandemic, with everything, etc., is much higher than the average economic growth rate as well. Therefore, it's probably in line with that stat, not with global inflation measuring the growth of prices of like butter in the shop and stuff like that. That is a bit of a stale industry, I would say.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so the next one was 89.1% of link builders believe no follow links have an impact on search rankings. Do you believe that? Yeah, I do. Just not that. (laughs) (laughs) So you you 89% believe it, right? They have an impact, but how much impact, that's very difficult to tell. Weird dynamic where... Some sites like Forbes and, and other ones out there, they just blanket no-follow all of their links because they've had issues with corrupt writers or interns in the past selling links. So there's no-follow everything. And I believe that sites that are no-following everything, links from there are still relatively valuable. So I mean, only it, if the it's site no-follows everything? Not only. I'd say the relative value of the sites uh, of a link from a site no following everything is higher than if you get a no follow link from a site that usually follows everything. I believe that that will be lower. So if I get
1: a link from Twitter, which is the r ninety nine, it's no followed, right? And therefore no follow every link, do you think that counts as a link? <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. No, because it's mostly user generated content stuff. I'm okay. talking about editorial. Blog type. I'm not talking about blog comments or social media stuff. Okay, think of like I a, mean, a blog. I don't post.
1: think necessarily Google makes a difference for these things, you know? Like, I don't think Google has like a category for social media sites versus other sites. I don't think they have a list in the algorithm that says, okay, these five sites treat them differently, but these ones
0: You do- don't? So, you don't think that um, nah. sites being mentioned a lot on, on like very high editorial standard sites?
1: I think that it matters for rankings. So, like, Going back to the very old Matt Cutts video, because he would talk a lot about that, right? Nofollow, etc. And he was the official voice of Google that was a bit more clear than John Mueller on all these things. And the way he would talk about nofollow links, he would say they do not pass page rank. They do not pass page rank. but it doesn't mean they don't pass anything, they just don't pass page rank. There's other things that can pass through, like relevance, for example. So if you have a page on a site that's very relevant to your site, that is high authority, no, known as an authority about this, that links to you with a nofollow link, you're still associated with that site in the knowledge graph, for example. And like Google will say, well, like this site, this site, relevant to add a link in there, just they didn't necessarily editorially review that because they no followed the link. And so I explained that a long time ago, I think it's like your rankings is kind of like, page rank is kind of like the reactors on the plane and then like relevance can be kind of like the wings that give the direction in where you go, you know? So there's like the pushing and there's the where you go. Basically, you can pass relevance without passing PageRank. You pass something that will help your rankings, make you more relevant, but not necessarily like push you have this pushing power of an engine behind you. So it's hard to explain. But, but doesn't
0: it, does isn't relevancy also a pushing factor these days as well? Sorry, that's kind of really? why they like you. that got why they got rid of PageRank as as a no. as a thing that they talk well, like, about. You
1: know what you know what I mean? It's like this relevancy could be like next time you post another page on the topic, your site is deemed relevant on that topic, therefore you're gonna rank higher right off the bat. That can boost these factors, basically, without necessarily pushing up that page that has the nofollow link. So it has an effect on rank. These kind of factors that give you authority on the topic as a domain, that can matter, but like it's not necessarily passing page rank. But basically, the idea is quite difficult to explain, but the idea is like there's probably more than page rank that passes through a backlink. Nofollow blocks page rank. It doesn't mean it blocks the other things. And so therefore, there's probably an impact on search rankings.
0: Hold on. You said nofollow blocks PageRank. Doesn't pass like, PageRank. We're not, we're not sure that's still it the case. It actually doesn't block it, it evaporates it. They have, or Google has updated their, their guidelines mm-hmm. um, many times since They might since ignore nofollow, like they
1: don't deem it relevant. And,
0: and it specifically says now that it's treated as a hint yep. rather than an absolute rule like as a as to, to, to what to do. So I would say that if you're no following everything on your site,
1: I agree with that. They will
0: actually follow some links. Those situations, they are likely to follow at least some of those those links. They maybe will maybe not the user-generated content stuff on Twitter or wherever, but an article on Forbes, an yeah. editorial article. I think I wouldn't be so quick to discount those links as oh, it's no follow there. I agree. I actually,
1: and it's like, actually, I'll tell you a big mistake I did. I'm, I won't tell what site, but one time. I think Google actually treats all these things, all meta tags, et cetera, as hints, not necessarily how to even robots.txt sometimes. And uh, the way I verified that is that I accidentally no-followed, no-indexed the homepage of one of our biggest sites one, day, one time that had like hundreds and hundreds of links pointing to it, which means we were losing lots of link equity if it was actually using these, right? And at some point I realized that like a long time later, like a a year and a half later, really like it has been taken into account by Google, they know about it. And I removed it and nothing happened. Our rank, We were still ranking quite fine with that site, et cetera. And what that tells me is that Google realized there was a mistake, treated this as a hint, chose to ignore it, and our links were still counting during that whole time. So like that is a good practical case study of like, yeah, even your meta robots, Google might treat it as a hint because it's nofollow meta robots. It's very similar to the nofollow on a piece of link, basically, like on a single link. And yeah, I believe that, especially when you blanket nofollow, then they'd be like, well, we'll figure that out. Uh, thank you very much, but we're not going to use this. But it's kind of like a way for publications to kind of like remove the responsibility from their side and be like, well, if you decide to follow these links, Google, it's up to you. It's not up to us. We've no followed that link, you know?
0: Okay, let's move on to the next one, which was it takes on average 3.1 months to see the impact of links on search rankings, according to our survey participants. So there was uh, two big cohorts, one in the one to three months, one in the three to six month, And so the vast majority of people saw rankings impact somewhere along that with the average being somewhere in the middle 3.1 months, which is largely in line with, with what we've seen. I think one of the biggest implications of this is uh, that we sort of experienced a couple of times now is when you're selling a site, uh, it grows after. <laughs> well, it can, it can grow after which, you know, depending on how you look at it, I mean, that's a good thing. You, you know, the, the buyer's very happy and and whatnot. But also, if you're trying to maximize the value, then you need to be doing that link building quite some time or quite a few months before you start putting the information there uh, together to sell the site, to come up with the valuation, because the the impact of those links that you just built last month may not have have kicked in yet.
1: We have a site that we actually stopped working on like several months ago, maybe like three, four months ago, just because we needed to uh, allocate resources somewhere else. And I can see that because we were building links quite aggressively to that site for a while. It was kind of like growing a little bit, but not that much. And we haven't worked on this for like three months, three, four months. And now it's growing like crazy. Like the growth is like is really high, etc. And it's like, yeah, link building takes time. And I think these stats are pretty accurate. It's funny because we literally have a case study on one of our sites now that's around that time range and we can see we can see all that growth coming with a big lag, basically. So yeah, I quite agree with people here. I think and the industry kind of it's pretty wise.
0: Next insight was that guest posting is the most popular link building tactic from the people that we surveyed. However, creating content or linkable assets was rated as the most effective link building tactic. So there are quite a few people doing tactics or, or not Just doing a second, enough. Right? It was, yeah. It's almost like a structural thing, right? Because remember, we got a lot of agencies and uh, freelancers and and whatnot what in here. It's very difficult for them to sell You know something where they create some content and earn you links over time because most people tend to like pay up front or pay per month for links and like campaigns like that just very difficult to position very difficult to sell very difficult to quantify what you're going to get out of it whereas when you're selling you know a guest post link you're paying for the only the final output and it's quite predictable for the service provider that they can deliver on that when they can deliver it how much it's going to cost whereas other types of campaigns are a lot more kind of variable and that. I think that's maybe why we, we see it less happening. Also, just because it's, it's maybe a bit more difficult, like I said, guest posting, very, very, very easy tactic to implement and see some results, even if you don't have too much budget or experience.
1: Yeah, well, I agree that creating content is a good idea. Provided you create good enough content. You know what this stat made me think of? It made me think of when you survey people and you ask them what they would like to see more on TV, right? And you ask people that and often they'd be like, oh, we'd like to see like more documentaries and like research stuff, et cetera. And you look at the audience curves on TV and it's like all fucking reality TV, just spiking everything. And then when there's a documentary, nobody watches that, right? And it's like, I was wondering if people were trying to like look a little bit good answering that question. <laughs> And you know what I mean? Like, it's like this thing of like, oh, I, I know I should do that, but I don't really do that. And I feel like guest posting might be the reality TV of link building and creating content, maybe the documentaries, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely a possibility. I would say because we had so many website owners as a percentage of our respondents, respond I think that may also skew it and we saw that a bit in, in the next one where we looked at agencies and how agencies and in-house SEOs were more than three times more likely to do digital PR than site owners so I'm just wondering if the complexity and the difficulty of those types of campaigns and the budget it takes to, to run some of them and the risk and the trial and error It's not all just that.
1: that it's also the ability to sell it to a client and get them to be on board with that I think if you show shitty guest post links to a client even though they might work, like on really bad sites or something, they might not be very happy associating their brand with these sites, whereas digital PR is maybe something that sells better as well. So considering that agencies do that more, you might be, the client buying might be a big factor here as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, even though I'm saying agencies do it more than website owners, but the agency that we start, uh, surveyed still did more guest posting than digital PR in, in total, even though that's a percentage. It was less than than how site owners split that. So
1: Yeah, but I, I think client buying is a big one as well. Like a lot of like, Stuff that works in SEO, is, it's not always what looks the prettiest, you know? And we have had clients, like, <laughs> we know how that works. <laughs> it's like, sometimes you want to do what works, but they will not do it, or they're just not willing to take that, the risks associated with it. They don't want the long-term consequences of these choices, et cetera. And so I think that is a big factor as well for agencies, especially when you're trying to be like a bit of a classy agency, you know? You need to do these kind of things because it's just what gives you that image.
0: Yeah. Okay. And the next one um, was that experienced link builders rely 56% less on metrics like DR and DA and focus more on search rankings as a way to track effectiveness. So we did this chart, we measured how people are measuring the the effectiveness of link building campaigns, and we broke it down by experience. So we had the, the four cohorts. And then the graphs, basically, it was like a, an X. It looked like that. So beginners rely almost entirely on website metrics, DR, DA, these, these types of things. And then a- after they hit that like two to three-year mark, it crosses over. They hit that tipping point. And people are like, well, maybe these metrics aren't the be-all and end-all. Still useful, but not the be-all and end-all. So I should start looking at search rankings. And you know, by the time people had five years or more experience, the vast majority were, were looking at search ranking search ranking increases um, to measure the, the effectiveness of link building. We see that a lot as well. You know, like um, with these group, as you yeah. call it, zo- zombified uh, sites which have very high DR DA, and these things don't. DR it doesn't really drop very, very quickly over time. Even though a site might completely have tanked, lost all its traffic, it can still be high high DR. But that's not really it's not really telling you the whole picture of what's going on there. So, um, when it comes to measuring the effectiveness of what you've done, I think. Yeah, makes sense. Look at your rankings.
1: Yeah, I really think it's one of these cases. We're respectful of opinions, etc. But in this case, I think beginners are wrong. <laughs> I really think website metrics is, is a bad way to measure link building effectiveness. Like We've seen high DR sites with shitty traffic and vice versa. One of our fastest growing sites at some point was DR3. Uh, it was ranking really well without links or anything. So yeah, it's like always think about What's gonna pay the bills in the end? Where's the money? And it's like DR doesn't pay your bills. Therefore, don't track that. It's cool to like look at it, etc. But honestly, I I couldn't care less for my DR. I only use it for maybe keyword research to like compare, like to see who we can compete with, etc. But it has no other use. I don't think it's a good idea.
0: I think it does have another use. I think that it's very easy to say, oh, like let's ignore it completely. You have to look at all these other things. But if you need a way to to quickly, them, yeah. At a glance, get some kind of like just quick, quick, slightly inaccurate but quick gauge of of where a website's at. There's nothing better than, than, than that that you can look at. quickly. I
1: actually divide the search engine traffic by the DR usually.
0: But you still need to use the DR for yeah, that. Yeah,
1: yeah, but like that basically gives me like an SEO effectiveness score. And you can see like how well they're using the authority and like how it reflects on Google. And then that's interesting to me. But just DR on its own, it's, yeah, you'll find a lot of sites with no traffic DR 70 They exist. There's so many of them. So yeah. But if you cross it with organic traffic, yeah, it's a good metric.
0: Let's look at then red flags. So we asked people what they thought were the the biggest red flags when building a link. And there was a pretty even split, to be honest, between And there was a pretty even split, to be honest, between irrelevant content, links from irrelevant sites, bad neighborhoods, so lots of CBD, casino, et cetera, links, and poor SEO metrics. So low DR, low estimated traffic in in Ahrefs, things like that. Suspicious backlink profile to the site where the link originates was also a slightly less but still significant factor. And those were, yeah, those were the, the four biggest ones by quite a bit. So what was interesting about this was that the three biggest ones had an almost even split, which tells to me, that they're all like kind of quite equally important. And I think we maybe messed up the question a bit because we only asked people I'd what let was the them, biggest yeah,
1: let them pick multiple, biggest factor. I
0: think. I think had they been able to pick multiple, they probably all would have picked. Yeah, they would have picked everything um, though
1: for every, and it's not that good. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, it's difficult. And it's just like useless data. Uh, I think what was interesting is that a right for us page was not that big of a red flag. At least it wasn't the biggest. It doesn't mean people like it but it means that it's kind of okay for people to get links on write-for-us pages, websites, yeah. which is a debate on I, its again, own like
0: Again, I think it's one of these things that, um, in isolation, it's very hard to pick one thing as being yeah, like, yeah. A, this is, you shouldn't get, I mean, good example, get response it's a SaaS tool, an email tool, they have a write-for-us page, and it's like, you can't tell me you wouldn't want a link from get response from their blog. So it's not, yeah. the presence of that doesn't cause it, the presence of that plus all these other factors together definitely but it's just it's one of those things that you kind of have to look at everything in combination to make this judgment about whether the site's good or not there's to get a link from there's no one factor you can quickly scan and just determine hey this is a this is the a, a link from this site's going to be good or it's not going to be good
1: i agree this is a tricky one to read this one i i don't have much comments on this i like most of these are pretty bad to be honest.
0: Next one was link builders using social media for outreach get 22% extra links per month. Now, this is kind of surprising for me because I don't know that many people doing using social media to do outreach. Typically, it's you know email, using an outreach tool, Hunter or something like that to find, find email addresses. Maybe some people have been using LinkedIn recently, Twitter as well, but like Facebook, you do that as well. I don't know if people are doing this on TikTok. Maybe the younger crowd's all into that. But this number kind of surprised me. But it does make sense because... On social media, first of all, not that many people doing it, so you can stand out a bit. Second, it really proves that you're a real person. In most cases, if you have, you know, a popular profile or well, maybe not on Twitter with the blue ticks, since anyone can get that <laughs> these days. But at least prior to the Musk takeover, that was the case. But I think more than anything, social proof, you know, if you have ten thousand followers or something, it just it makes it seem like you're a real person. You're a real site, rather than just some random email address. Cold outreaching to you, to someone.
1: I wish I was a stat for like people who follow me on Twitter versus those who don't and see how much moldings they built. You know that would be a good argument. But other than that, yeah, I mean, I think social media matters in the sense that inboxes are getting crowded. I've gotten lots of links from Twitter quite easily. Just like I use this tool. Actually, I use this. Uh, let me actually check the the name of the tool. I use this t- tool called Black Magic on Twitter. Basically like allows me to kind of like flag accounts that I have interest in and it tells me when they tweet when they do something etc without being overly uh, obstructive. It's not automated but like it just gives me a, a poke when they do something on Twitter and I get to e- to interact with them. And eventually that often leads to links, partnerships, etc. And it's easier than me emailing these people. So I would recommend doing a bit of that if you are someone who actually gets involved in their niche and is active, etc. It's much harder to use a fake persona and you use this uh, person does not exist, etc. And that's kind of the perks of not doing that. It's like you do get to do that. And I find more and more value in actually being just engaged in your niche Genuinely caring about it and uh, and creating content on social—it's something that I definitely want to do more. Actually,
0: I think um, that's a really good idea for next year. I think we we can ask everyone if they if they outreach as themselves, as someone else, or as a fake persona, and then we can see the differences in results and stuff. That, that way, that'd be quite a good insight to get, I think. And that is something we're actually planning on doing is running this survey you know, every so often and we'll be able to see the, the differences and responses over time and what's kind of changing in the industry. So look out for that in future. Just to finish off, though, I want to talk about the... Impact of links in the future. So we asked people, what impact do you think links will have in five years' time? Will it have no impact, less impact, same impact, or bigger impact? And about half of the people responding said they thought it would be the same impact. Around 15, 16% said it would have more impact. 33%, so a third, said less impact. And I think one or two people said no impact. But you got to remember that these are link builders. Who do this kind of for a living? So maybe they're more they have invested interest. in having it still work. <laughs> I don't know. It did seem to be leaning more towards less impact, and that's that seems to be a kind of we call it consensus, but something a lot of people have been talking about. John Mueller had that tweet recently that you know said that in future it will have less impact, but now it still has a lot of impact.
1: But the thing is, like, it's kind of, uh, again, is Google lowering you because they always include new factors, right? It's like they keep making the algorithm more complex. And that's normal, right? It's just refinement over time. And as you add more factors, you just need to squeeze in it's just You still get 100% of the pie and you just need to, like, take some percentages here or there, it doesn't mean that it's not going to still be the number one factor for a really long time, even though it has less impact. And so I think they're, they're tricking you. Like when they add core web vitals, etc. for example, well, yeah, it just takes from link building a little bit. But in the grand scheme of things, a lot of these new factors are ones or zeros. It's like you get it done on your site and it's done, like the SSL, for example, HTTPS. And then it it's not really a factor anymore once everyone has it then link building just has as much weight on your rankings as, as they had before, even though they're a lower percentage of the total pie. And so, like, it's, again, Google lowering you a bit. It doesn't mean they won't actually reduce significantly the impact, but they like to be vague like that, and they like to kind of, like, be tricky like that. And it's like, really, he didn't say anything. Uh, and and you might as well just ignore what he said. So it's up to your own interpretation. For me, I think they will matter as much while having less impact in practice because other factors will be introduced. You see the nuance here?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, um, that's like with everything Google says about link building. They they say a lot of stuff, but what they communicate and the meaning behind it is it's it's can often be vague and thinly veiled or not so thinly veiled. Or
1: it's very frustrating as a webmaster working with a company like that. It's just like the typical image that you have of the evil corporation in, like, these futuristic movies, you know, of, like, uh, P- everything's pr and everything. Very frustrating. But uh, hopefully one day they will change that tune. Anyway, anything else to say on that survey?
0: Yeah, actually, if you have any thoughts or comments on the way we ran the survey, this is the first time we've done it and we had some big lessons ourselves in like how to frame the questions and different things to ask and ways of asking it. We will be planning on doing this again in future. So if you have any feedback on on that, I mean please drop us a comment in the the YouTube channel, the, the YouTube comments that go along with this this podcast and also let us know kind of what are you expecting the trends to be? in in future. Do you think in next year or in a couple years' time, if we ask this again, links will be more expensive than than now? How much more expensive? Do you think that links will have more or less or the same impact in in SEO in a few years? And do you think guest posting will still be king in, in two years?
1: Cool. Thank you for joining for the podcast and we'll see you in two weeks for another one. Bye.